This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. As you embark on your non-clinical career transition, are you positioned to be the hunter or are you the hunted? You know, physicians are bombarded every day by headhunters, drug reps, insurance people, hospital schedulers, medical records people, salesmen of every stripe, and not to mention that engaging young chap who just happens to have only a few shares of stock left in that company with the miracle cure. I know. I've heard all the stories. When you live your life as the hunted, it's no wonder physicians often don't realize that when they make the decision to step away from clinical practice and enter the non-clinical executive world, they have to become hunters. For many, that realization occurs quietly. It materializes in unreturned phone calls or contacts being perpetually late for meetings or people simply not showing up or following up as quickly or as thoroughly as you, as a physician in a clinical environment, are accustomed to. The reason is simple. Your role has shifted. As a physician, all orders, admissions, any action involving a patient, which is probably 90% of your professional focus, well, they must come directly from you vis-a-vis a signed order. You are the linchpin, and everyone is clamoring for your attention. You're used to being pursued, and you've built your own mechanisms to deal with that pursuit. Your objective? Only allow the truly necessary to penetrate your inner sanctum and deal directly with you. Today, however, today as you begin your search for a non-clinical career transition, you must become the hunter. The medical recruiter who'd happily talk to you at 3 a.m. because that's your on-call break in the ER is now replaced by an executive recruiter who's asking you, what is your current position and title? If your answer is, well, I'm in practice, but I'm a medical director, then expect a quick end to the call. Yes, you must now become the hunter. Hunters are always on the hunt. That means any phone call not returned or acknowledged within 24 hours is called again. That means you don't wait for follow-ups, you create them. When you end a meeting, you ask for the next steps, and if the answer is, I'll get back to you, you say that you'll put a note in your file to follow up in a week if you've heard nothing. It also means you're always looking for prey. In every conversation, you should be asking yourself, how could I help this person? What would I do to solve their problems or help them achieve the goals they're having trouble reaching? Just like listening to a patient, you should be listening to everyone you speak with to diagnose their problems and challenges in order to turn them into your opportunity to help. You don't need to be pushy. You don't need to say, well, if you hired me, I could solve that problem for you. All you need to say is, have you tried this? Would you like to discuss it further? I may have some ideas. Express your interest and your desire to understand their problem in more detail. Superficial problems with superficial solutions usually lead nowhere. You need to be hunting for your aha moment when you know you're the best person to solve a problem and you're able to express your value clearly, definitively, and convincingly. So where do you begin? You probably began your non-clinical career transition in the wrong place. At least, based on my daily conversations with physicians, most have begun in the wrong place. That 
place, that wrong place is online. Applying for some job they or you most likely could do very well, but for which you don't even come close in meeting the specified criteria to be hired. Is that where you began or is that where you are now? First, stop wasting your time. Second, don't expect to receive a response. And third, don't try to call the company or the recruiter conducting the search. You're really just spinning your wheels. My advice to all clients is this. I'm not going to tell you not to apply for jobs, but I am going to tell you to manage your expectations when you do. Expect nothing. Expect nothing and you'll not be disappointed. It's that simple. Second, if like so many posted jobs, a hiring preference is for someone with an MBA, don't think that now you just have to get an MBA to qualify. It isn't that simple. Medical practice is, I often say, guided by the certificates you have hanging on your wall. If you add a CME certificate for some procedure, as of the moment you drive the nail in your wall and hang your plaque, you're an expert. The non-clinical world works differently. Organizations often ask for degrees not because they confer some expanded knowledge base on recipients, but simply because the degree helps them sort the pack, so to speak. In the non-clinical world, most expanded knowledge is expected to come from practice, from experience, from actually doing the job you're being asked to do, by having a set of accomplishments that speak to your expertise. The degree requirement is often just an easy way to sort the applicants. That's to say, don't waste our time because if you don't have this degree, it's unlikely you've been exposed to the background, the experiences, and the accomplishments we see as necessary to be successful. Your executive MBA you received six months ago simply tells me that for the past two years you've probably read and wrote numerous papers and played various simulation games and learned to work in a study group. It doesn't tell me you know how to run my business. Further, and I hear this often, I want to be mentored. Well, mentoring is for interns or apprentices, not for high-paid executives. Some companies do have what they consider guides or sh Sherpas for new employees, but that's usually a peer or above who helps guide you into the company processes. They want to help you avoid common gaffes and pitfalls, to understand the hierarchy, the organizational best practices. They are not there to teach you how to do your job. That's not to say you won't or can't learn from those around you, but telling someone you want or need a mentor is a polite way of saying, I don't know how to do this job. Well, goodbye. This is a fact. If you're in a position to consider an offer, and it's both a job you want and a job you believe you can do, accept the job. Then, watch those around you. Determine who does the best job, who is most respected in the organization and why, and then emulate the things they do. Confer with them. Try to use them as a sounding board. For example, say to them, I was thinking about doing this, quote unquote, whatever this is. Would you approach this this way? You'll learn and you'll be mentored by observing, by asking questions, and by making mistakes. Just correct your mistakes. Note the words, correct your mistakes. In the non-clinical world, you don't have to bury your mistakes. Next, 
Becoming a hunter means understanding your prey. Who or what are they? What are their habits? What are their problems? But where do you begin? You begin with you. As you transition from being the hunted to being the hunter, well, let's look how it works in the animal world. You know, lions don't chase rabbits. First, lions know what they can and what they cannot do. Lions are hunters. They understand their strengths and their weaknesses. They also know what they want and know what they don't want, and they don't want rabbits. Rabbits are a lot of work for just a snack. Rabbits require lightning reflexes and agility. Lions know they're strong, a bit plodding, but able to show quick bursts of speed and energy. Well, what prey matches their strengths? Wildebeests. Wildebeests, on the other hand, tend to run in straight lines, and they only require bursts of speed and stamina coupled with brute force. Plus, there's several meals, plus a snack. Lions know they can track and trail a wildebeest with their stamina, and then, in a burst of speed, ambush their prey and with brute strength, take them down. Lions know themselves, and they know what prey best matches their skills. You need to do the same. What are your strengths? Consider this. Do you manage projects well? Do you manage people well? Have you developed population health studies or research? Have you designed your office? Have you negotiated leases or managed care contracts or employment agreements? Have you focused elements of your practice on diagnosing and treating a specific type of patient, perhaps a specific disease or procedure? Have you developed formal policies and procedures for your practice or for some medical unit you supervise? Outside your practice, are you involved in other businesses? Have you provided quantifiable services, advice, or counsel as a volunteer? Do you teach? Do you educate? Do you lead programs to inform lay or professional groups and audiences about specific health issues? Do you actively participate on hospital or practice committees? Do you do any educating or teaching with pharma, device manufacturers, or other vendors? All of these examples can be skills or can relate to or illustrate skills that you have. Take your strengths assessment to the next level. What do you know about? What is your knowledge? Knowledge may be predicated on what you've studied, both formally and informally, but also on what you've learned through experience, by doing or by observing. Of course you know about medicine, but what about medicine? What has most intrigued you to cause you to learn more? What else do you know about? What are you knowledgeable of? You may know how your state legislature works, how to draft and present a bill, or you may know how to tune a vintage Weber carburetor. Here's the point. You probably know quite a bit about many different things. But as a practicing physician, you tend to look at all that knowledge as secondary, or worse, as superfluous. Today, Today, as you start stalking your wildebeest, that knowledge becomes primary. Lastly, in defining your strengths, consider your interests. An interest is what motivates you. It's what piques your appetite, your curiosity. It's what drives you to achieve. It may even be a passion. Regardless, what are your interests? What do you like and why? And specifically, what do you like about what you like? and why. For example, golf is one of my interests. I've played golf since I was five years old. 
What I like about golf is the moral and ethical plane on which the game is played. That is, in golf, players actually call penalties on themselves. That, to me, speaks to building and developing character. So I have an interest in the rules, you might say, and that translates for me into an ability to manage multifaceted, dynamic operational environments. I'm good at that, and I'm trusted in that, in part because beyond industry knowledge and skills, I will call a penalty on myself. I'll admit my own errors and mistakes, and I'll strive to correct them. Now, with interests, skills, and knowledge defined, you have categorically defined your strengths. Study your list. Where do you have interests supported by skills, further supported by knowledge? Where those linkages exist, you've identified your best strengths. These are the strengths that will help you define your prey. So now, where's your wildebeest? In other words, you know your interests and you have your strengths. You're armed with examples based on discussion of your skills. Now, how are those strengths put to good use? Ask yourself what types of businesses can use or need these strengths. Who could use them and how? What interests coincide with an industry or a business? As you do study the applications of your strengths, think broadly. Think, think very broadly. Build as lengthy a list as possible. For example, with my interest in golf, I've certainly led operations management in hospital and healthcare organizations. I've also been charged with reorganizing businesses in which I had zero industry knowledge, merely on the strength of my organizational understanding of operations. I see much of life as an assembly line. Materials enter from one end, are adjusted, assembled, evaluated, modified in some fashion in the middle, and they come out different on the other end. Think about it. Patients enter broken, hurt, or not functioning properly. They are adjusted during treatment and hopefully emerge at the other end in some improved capacity. I didn't have to know how to diagnose a patient to be able to hire good people, that is, physicians like you, who could diagnose those patients and provide those physicians with the tools they needed to do the necessary fixing. I only needed to know that it was a process and to listen and learn from those in the middle, the physicians, to understand what they needed to do their work well. But further, with my appreciation for the often complex and arcane rules of golf, I've drafted documents that became legislation, I've drafted and managed contracts, and I've helped structure and present investor packages and materials that raise millions of dollars in capital. Let your imagination run, and your list will grow, and your opportunities will expand. Most importantly, they will begin to seem real. You'll move from asking, can I, to saying, I can. After all, no lion ever filled its belly by lying in the tall grass and saying that all the wildebeests were too big, or too fast, or too agile. The lion says simply, that's my prey. Now, no wildebeest ambles over into the tall grass, looks for a lion and says, hey, king of the beast, do me a favor. Old Uncle Harold over there is getting pretty gray in the whiskers. He's slowing down the herd, and we really need to have room to improve the gene pool. How about having him for lunch? No, that doesn't happen either. The lion, king or not, has to chase down the wildebeest, and so do you. You may be valuable, and you may know it, but no one else does. 
Also, as you consider the hunt, the chase, you will start to evaluate your prey, your target, based on time. How much time will it require to achieve certain levels of success following different career paths? That's your first consideration. Some career paths may require several years to fully develop and follow. Others will be more manageable timelines of several months to a year or so. My advice based on many years of experience is this. Expect an average physician career transition to require between 9 and 14 months. Certainly, there are outliers on both sides of that average, but that's a good timeline to consider in order to both manage your expectations and to manage your development of meaningful milestones. After you consider the overall timelines required, consider the simple fact of time and timing. You only have so much of it. That is, time is your most limited and your most valuable commodity. You cannot split your time among your current practice or other activities and multiple job searches. You will need to focus. You may find it possible to pursue a couple of avenues simultaneously, avenues that are very closely related, but the more focused you are, the more time you'll be devoting to your number one or your number two priorities. You're now the hunter. I've spoken about career transitioning processes in other podcasts, and I've written about them on my blog, so I won't repeat myself too much here. Simply put, My objective with all clients is to help them get into the same room, literally, with those people they want to work with and work for. However, at this moment, you have new and somewhat unknown challenges to that objective. Being in the same literal room may not be possible. It certainly isn't being advised, and this situation may not change significantly in the short or medium term. Today presents unique challenges to meeting the people you need and want to meet but it also presents unique opportunities. You might say, think digitally. How can you focus your meeting and communications resources in different ways to launch or to keep your career transition process on track? What I'm advising is this. What used to be support tactics, those steps I would advise clients to take to reinforce personal meetings, presentations, and conference attendance, well, they're now primary strategies. The internet is perhaps your best friend. Through the internet, you can identify industry leaders, you can participate in online communities, you can publish your own perspectives, and you can use web or video calling to establish a much more personal connection with the people you meet. I'm confident that creating a more active digital presence will prove the dividing line between those who are seeing success during these challenging times and those who simply set their personal career objectives aside, put them on hold for this indeterminate period of time. And another point to this situation, we never return to normal, so to speak, following any crisis. Some elements of the required or necessary changes always remain with us. Some years ago, we experienced an unprecedented surge in the cost of airfares. That spawned a significant growth spurt in online web conferencing and applications. And while air travel has become less of a corporate barrier today, more organizations than ever moved some of their meetings, conferences, and even one-on-one calling online. And some companies have realized their reach can be greatly expanded by creating web-based seminars and programs on an ongoing basis. 
This crisis will only expand on that foundation, and that will certainly make those of you who expand your own capabilities in communicating effectively at distance that much more likely to be noticed, to be contacted, and ultimately to be more successful. Start exploring the internet for opportunities to write, to comment, to communicate. And lastly, make sure your social and professional media identities are appropriate to your career objectives. Making the move to being the hunter is a significant shift in thought, perspective, and action. However, once you begin to receive positive feedback for your tenacity, your creativity, and your ideas, you will develop a zeal for the hunt. Besides, it's always better to be the lion than the wildebeest. As always, I'm happy to receive your comments and your questions, and you can reach me directly at 720-339-3585 for voice, message, or text. And if there are any subjects you'd like me to discuss in a podcast, just let me know. Until next time, this is Robert Pretty for Third Evolution. Thanks for listening. <laughs>